0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Spain and Fitz pre-party. Our show from tonight will be coming up in just a minute, but we wanted to have a little chat before we hit the weekend about some stuff that isn't NFL championship games or really anything sports related. We tend to get a little weird on these and based on what Fitz just said, I was like, stop, stop. We're recording this. So this is the pre-party. Okay. Tell me this catfish story.
2: Okay, so, you know, I've dipped my toes in and out of the waters of the TV show Catfish over the years, and it is back, and uh, he's doing a new season. He has a new co-host, right? And they're doing everything socially distanced now, so it's all on Zoom, but cameras have been set up. You know how that goes. So uh, you see each of them start, and then they bring in the person that was catfishing. Well, I had somebody tell me that I had to watch the most recent episode because it will blow my mind, and it's the single craziest episode of catfish ever in history, so of course I, I went. I, look, I'm you know how cheap I am. I actually paid to download the episode on Amazon Prime. Like, and, and oh, it they got you. Soul. They got like you. Th- three dollars <laughs> out for this, and it was worth every penny. Let me tell you, because. What we find out. Okay, so this is your typical catfish story in some ways. It was a, a, a girl that uh, contacted uh, Neve and said, hey, I'm, I'm actually contacting you on behalf of my fiance because we're trying to get married and he really can't get past his first love. So we meet him and he talks about how when he was 16 and life was really beating him up and school wasn't good he played a lot of xbox and he met this girl uh, on xbox and they fell in love and they they communicated every day at one point they talked for 32 straight hours on xbox live Mm. while they were playing video games they were madly in love so now this is a
1: this is an old lady question but like when they're talking is it typing or they can hear each other
2: uh both so they okay so they were like it was the
1: equivalent of having a phone call but just over xbox
2: Right, right, right. Okay. And But he also had tons of text exchanges, tons of pictures of him, of her. And so he was uh, he was moving down to Florida. To, he lived in Michigan. So he's going to go to Florida, live with her for a few weeks. If it worked out, they were going to stay together because they were madly in love as kids. They've been together for two years at this point. Mm. So he shows up. She just so bails him. She never shows up. She can't find her. Like, oh. You can't find her anywhere. So his heart's broken. And like a year later, she reaches back out and he basically says, no, you already stood me up once. I can never go through that again. I'm too hurt. So as he's preparing to get married, he sees she comes up on like a you might know profile on Instagram again. And so all of a sudden, all the feelings come back. So he DMs her and he's like, hey, and she said, I'm sorry, I don't know you. So now he's all just but he's honest with his current fiance as he's going through this heartbreak. So. They they start their digging and they're researching and they find a Facebook profile that matches the pictures to a girl with the same name. So Neve reaches out and says, hey, uh, you know, I'd love to talk to you. Well, she she takes the call. Right. And so but she's really weird on the call. And she's like, "Uh, I've never met this person. I don't know who he is. uh, But, you know, I'm not surprised to hear this. And then basically calls like hangs up. So the next oh, no. day, they're doing a Zoom, and they're telling him, hey, this may not be real. We don't know. She texts and says, what's the Zoom link? She gets in the Zoom link, and then she's there. So this, there, is, and she this says, is
1: the person that he thinks he had this relationship with this like, young girl who's his age?
2: Yes. And so okay. now you know this has been like the relationship was like 10 years ago. So she's in her presumably late 20s. He's in his late 20s. They meet each other, and then another window pops up in the Zoom. And now all of a sudden, everybody's confused. Who's the catfish? Because she says straight out, she says, Paul, I'm sorry. I've never met you. I don't know who you are. And you can see the devastation in his face and the Aww. joy in his current fiance's face. And then all of a sudden, a, uh, let's say a middle-aged woman pops up. Somebody that's obviously not in the same age range. And everybody is shocked. And Neve says, I'm sorry, who is this? This is Martha. This is the woman's, the, this is the girl's mom. It's her okay. mom. He was catfished by this girl's mom. This girl had a two-year relationship with him and apparently dozens of other young men at the time on Xbox. Dozens. Like, lives were destroyed. And you want the craziest part of this, Sarah? Are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? Well, I know you are, but this is the craziest part. At night, the mom would go to her daughter and she would pull out her phone. She knew the password. She would get into the phone, and she would take whatever pictures were on the phone and send them to herself and then delete no. the texts. So she even sent naked pictures of her daughter to this guy. Naked pictures!
1: Oh. Now, this is a really superficial question to ask, but I'm just curious. Is the daughter, like, a really good catch for the guy? Uh, yeah. So like, could you see how that, like, he might be hung up on that years later thinking, like, that was my one true love. Not only did we get along great, but she was like the most beautiful woman ever.
2: Yes, in the video game, like Xbox, sort of like emo video game community, she she's definitely she's a pretty girl, and he was at that time. They showed some of the pictures of him at the time. He was a pretty good looking guy in that world. Like he's yeah. let himself go a little bit, you know. But uh, oh, right. uh, I could see why he was a little a little hung up, you know. Oh. And- and I do, you know, I got to say, I respect the fact that he was really open with his current fiance about like some of the feelings he's having and everything and like, right. It's better to, to like it out and get like, the
1: closure. Wait. So d- did the daughter find out on that zoom that that's what happened?
2: No, the daughter said she found out from somebody else two years ago that her mom had been doing <sighs> this to, to, I, and I'm saying boys intentionally because her, her mom, yeah, these and, are she boys. Was her, she was in her mid forties. And she said she just felt alone and wanted attention. So she That's was probably out to illegal, too, boys.
1: to be sharing nudes of a 16-year-old or whatever age her daughter was. To disseminate those is illegal.
2: Well, her daughter was 18, and 16 is the age of consent in Michigan. They were very clear that she had violated any law here. But what they weren't clear on in the episode that I thought was stunning, and she talked about how she's gone through therapy to be a better person, and she's very sorry for what she did. But, I I mean, I would want to look back at every one of these dozens of guys. Were any of them 15 and a half? Because let's be real in today's world – like we look, and this is one of the problems we have in society. Not to get on my soapbox, but we have a middle-aged woman that's hitting on a sixteen-year-old guy, and everybody's like, "Oh, this makes for good TV." If the roles were reversed and this was a middle-aged guy with a sixteen-year-old girl, we would be appalled, and rightfully so. No, it I'm appalled. Uh, yeah, fashion, I'm ways. appalled.
1: I'm appalled but, anyway. And again, to your point, this is the problem. People like to like lionize and romanticize this as something that's cool, and it's not. It's still pedophilia. It's still taking advantage, and it's going to mess with those boys' heads. Like. Like, that's the problem. That's why I can't watch this show. You have got me all caught up in the drama of it all. And I imagine if I had accidentally flipped it on and started watching, I would also have been forced... I don't know if I would have to pay for it. I think I get that channel, but you know what I'm saying. But I don't want to. It makes me so sad for these people. But I also kind of want to be like, if you never, like, gotten on a Zoom with this person, then maybe take it, yeah. like... Like, you know what I mean? Like, how I, I also feel bad that we're in a situation in life where people can be in relationships for years with someone that they've never met. Cause there is always a chance that someone's being disingenuous and that's just awful to someone who, you know, thinks that they're really in it.
2: Yeah. And the, the, the guy was pretty transparent about the fact like he was broken up about it and he told the mother, he was like, you, you understand that every girl I ever dated, I had trust issues with like, because I felt so lied to and stood up by the one person I thought understood because yeah, he was going to move manipulated there. My emotion. Like, I can't imagine what that feels like. That's an adult manipulating a kid. It was the most stunning episode of Catfish I've ever seen.
1: Well, now that you've taken us down this depressing road, uh, let let me cheer you up and everybody listening because while you were watching Catfish, I was realizing that I somehow read the internet wrong when we were talking to Heidi Gardner earlier this week. Saturday Night Live cast member Heidi Gardner was on to talk to us about Saturday Night Live during the pandemic and her Chiefs fandom. And while we were talking to her, I somehow misread the internet that for some reason, SNL wouldn't be back until this fall. And I was like, why is it going to be so long? What's going on over there? I was wrong. I don't know what I was reading, but it's back January 30th. That's right. Mm. Eight days from now. And do you want to hear the first three weeks of shows, Fits that we're going to get from our favorite, one of our favorite shows? January 30th, top Not top, but top five on my Hall Pass. John Krasinski is the host. (laughs) I love John Krasinski. Okay, okay? He was supposed to be on last March, and I was super excited for it, and then the pandemic hit and the show never happened. I love me some John Krasinski. Tall, lanky, Ivy League writer. I mean, sign me up. Love him. Okay? And Machine Gun Kelly, who I don't know as well, but people are into. So that's that's a solid show right there. That's going to be really good, yeah. February 6th. None other than Dan Levy of Shit's Creek. Dan Levy is going to crush so hard.
2: I mean, what a, by the way, what a, 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 and you and I are both huge Shit's Creeks fans, obviously. Uh, Everybody knows that. What a huge moment for that show. Like, yeah. Because I'll never forget. Well, so was the Emmys when... when they won
1: every single award. Of course,
2: but like <laughs> it's crazy to think like, you know, we went we we were into this show from day one because Sonny is such a huge uh, waiting for Guffman like that yeah. whole era best in show like we watch those all the same. So Eugene is uh, like a huge and Catherine O'Hare are, are both people that we watch all the time. So we were destination into this from day one. I never would have guessed when we watched the first episode, which I loved and uh, some people said it got better. It did get better over time, but I loved it from the get go. I never would have guessed then that it would become the cultural phenomenon yeah. that it has become. And for him to get SNL out of it is A, so deserved, but B, oh my God, what a statement to come Huge. from a show that wasn't on a normal network for so many yeah. people and still took over the world.
1: Whew. It's going to be awesome. Uh, he's on with Phoebe Bridgers, who for the longest time I thought was Phoebe Waller-Bridges uh, mm-hmm. from Fleabag. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. it was just people saying her name wrong, and now I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a musician. Okay, let me catch up. Um, So that's going to be amazing. And then February 13th, Regina King, fresh off of One Night in Miami, which I haven't seen yet, but I've heard great things from her. And Regina King's been amazing for decades. And Nathaniel Rateliff, who I love. And Nathaniel Rateliff was going to be, uh, would have been if I had shown up my last concert before quarantine hit because I was supposed to go on like March 11th or something of last year and COVID hit and I didn't feel comfortable even though things weren't closed up yet. So I didn't go and so I still haven't seen him live and I love him. So let's, that's something to celebrate. SNL I coming mean, back and that lineup is amazing.
2: What do we have to do to get you to do Moira on SNL? I like, know, I feel like, right? I feel like it's your your, your calling. It is. Well, both of us. That's like
1: our dream. You haven't played the yeah. show yet. I haven't been on the cast yet, which is something I, I still, you know, every time I do an interview and people ask your dream job, I'm like, it's still Saturday Night Live. Like, don't close that door for me. It's not too <laughs> well, late. It's never going to be too late.
2: <laughs> you know, And And the funny thing is, for me, like, we were in New York when I was with the band years ago. We were in New York rehearsing for something, and Imagine Dragons was playing SNL. And I have a buddy in that band. And so he was like, hey, we're, we're doing a string quartet. So if you want to be one of the violins, come on. Oh. And the band wouldn't let me. I couldn't miss the rehearsal that we had the, no. that night for the band to beat at the SNL rehearsal. like Because the, they rehearse on Thursdays mm. with the band. So because I couldn't be there Thursday... I couldn't do it, and so I had to say no because, you know, I had to keep my job, uh, which was heartbreaking, and then you flash forward a few years later, and I became really close with uh, the guitar player in the house band, uh, Jared Scharf, who's uh, amazing, but Jared now has moved to LA, and he's producing all these huge, like, Post Malone songs and making a bazillion dollars in pop, so he left the SNL band, so I lost my last connect, like, Uh. I I don't even have an in anymore, so I need one of these, like, artsy singer-songwriters to uh, call me up, you know, I'll make the drive down to Connecticut, sit in with the band, come
1: And unfortunately, SNL is known for many things, but it is not known for bringing random unknown people who do a good impression onto the show to replace someone from their cast who could do it, or someone very famous who could do it. So, uh, I as much as I would love it, I, I do not think my Moira is going to make it to Studio 8H, which is very sad.
2: Um, but Maybe I'm so still pumped. Maybe just stand out in the street and I'll, I'll just like stand outside, dance and, and play. And like, I would I can't be remiss
1: if you didn't hear this impression. You know um, what,
2: we'll do it that way, but I'll play shanty music behind you while you oh, do it and suddenly, bam, All the things sensation. at once.
1: All the things at <laughs>
2: once. If we can just put like a Bernie poster behind us, we will capture uh, all uh, the social media at once.
1: Absolutely. You're on to something. You're on to something. Uh, enjoy the weekend after you listen to this episode of Spain and Fitz.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: And Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM
2: XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. She's Sarah Spain, I'm Jason Fitz. Got a lot we're going to get into. Usually we start today's show with... A lot of uh, yelling and screaming about the fact that it's Friday. We'll get there in a second. We will start today's show, though, obviously mentioning, as you've been hearing across all of the networks today, uh, today Hank Aaron, uh, Major League Baseball icon, passed away. We're going to give you a lot of coverage of that, and we're going to get some great guests over the course of the next couple hours to help us do all of that. So we'll make sure that we get some remembrance in there and some great stories in you don't want to miss. In the meantime, though, before we get to any of that, Sarah, It is Friday, and it is a huge weekend in the NFL, especially with two conference championship games. I know everybody's super hyped about the NFC Championship game, but I got to be honest, I'm more into the AFC one. I know everybody loves Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, but my God, there are other players on the team. And if you're looking at teams that are exciting to watch, Bill's Chiefs, I think it's going to be the better game. I think it's going to be more exciting, and I think it's two teams that are set for five years of dominance if they do things the right way moving forward. So I think there's actually a better game coming in the AFC than the NFC.
1: I don't know if I can go that far. As much as I oh, like on the on idea it's Friday, of just these, come with me, Sarah. I as, as I I mean I see what you're saying there. I like the idea of these young stars that are up and coming. I like the idea of seeing the potential future of the AFC in this game. But I'm not taking anything away from the old heads in the la in, in the later game. So we'll, we'll get to that. But I do think that this both of these games are hard for me to pick. This game in particular, you look at the what we saw from the Bills in their previous two playoff games, and you see a team that allowed, what, 472 yards of offense to the Colts, uh, an offense that's not all that spectacular, and then held the Ravens, which is a great offense, to their fewest points since 2009. Which one of those defensive game plans shows up? What is Leslie Frazier bringing to this game that can compete with a Kansas City offense that has so many weapons? How do you blitz them enough that you don't get killed because the first time they met they only blitzed three percent of the time and they usually regular season blitz rate of 33 percent they dropped it way down because they don't want to get beat over the top and they don't want to put pressure on Patrick Mahomes and leave their secondary open to that speed you got to find a middle ground though you can't you can't give so little pressure that you don't make Patrick Mahomes guess and so I think I'm just fascinated to see what the game plan is for this game for the Bills
2: Well, and everybody's going to be fascinated to see what version of Mahomes we get, and Really, frankly, what version of Josh Allen? Like, this year has been an awakening for Josh Allen, but you're talking about two quarterbacks. Uh, Allen's won his last eight starts. Mahomes won his last 11. You're talking about the number 1 and number 2 offense in the entire NFL in total yards. Uh, You're talking about explosiveness when you talk about uh, not only Stephon Diggs on one side, but Kelsey on the other. I mean, when you talk about big plays, I think that's part of why I'm really excited for this. Now, I think both of these teams have capable defense, but you're right. They've been very inconsistent. There have been... uh, shortcomings for the for the bills particularly who have been able to be run on that was the at least the narrative but then they went in against an offense that I thought would have some success in Baltimore, and they completely shut it down. So is that some sort of a, a new version of the Bills' defense? Because let's face it, I think the big plays are going to happen throughout this game. The question is, who's going to punt twice? That's really what it comes down to. I, you're looking at a game, I think, where the winner is going to put up in the upper 30s. So if you can get a team to punt twice, you might win this game. And that's, that's crazy to say from an AFC championship game because we all know defense matters. It's really going to be selective plays here that the defense is going to have to make because the offenses can do so much.
1: And now that you've said that, it's going to be ten to three at the half, and we're all going to be wondering what the hell we're watching because that's Sarah, how it always I put works. Ca- I put cash money
2: on this game. Stop
1: doing that! It's not working oh. out for you. Uh, it's Fane and Fitz. Sarah is. Spain, week Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We've got a fun pre-party tonight that you can hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen. The, the thing with these games is we can come in with a certain expectation, and, and we talked about this with the Bills-Ravens game. They're averaging giving up 160-plus yards on the ground before that game, but they also had not had a quarterback rush on them for more than 61 in the previous two years, and that included facing Lamar Jackson. Well, guess what? Lamar Jackson, before he went out, already had over 100 yards, but the team itself was not very successful. So, you know, there's, there's, always, there's always game plans that are going to work. And there's always things that are going to change. And that's why the sort of Leslie Frazier versus Andy Reid situation of trying to figure out how do you pressure Mahomes enough and take away enough weapons on that offense um, is going to be the fascinating part. On, on the side of Josh Allen, you know, like you mentioned, Chiefs offense has been pretty, in, or sorry, defense has been pretty inconsistent. How do you make it so that Josh Allen reverts to the guy who, you know, unfortunately makes some mistakes instead of the guy that we've seen all this season who's been able to spread it around to multiple weapons and has been able to, you know, haven't used the run game very much. And I think that's something that they're going to have to, because you can't depend on Allen and and the passing game to beat the Chiefs. You're going to need to at least, at least keep the Chiefs guessing about the, about the run game and how you're going to use it.
2: And to that end, Sarah, I think it's a great point, And I'll credit our great people at Stats and Info for a little nugget on the Chiefs, Chiefs defense they generated pressure, sacker duress, at the second highest rate this season. 35% of the time they generated pressure. I think we're actually going to see a lot of attempts at draws and screens, anything that tries to take a little advantage of that pressure. Because you're right, they are going to find ways to get at Josh Allen. And if they get at Josh Allen, that's going to disrupt everything. This well, feels except like for the a, fact
1: that Josh Allen has been the most effective quarterback against the Blitz all season long. So if they depend on that too much, it's not going to necessarily work out for them
2: well, it depends on how they generate the pressure. Can they just get after him with the front four without having to send the blitz? I think they actually can get to Josh Allen without having to blitz. So you're right. If you blitz, you put yourself in a negative situation. But I think that front four is going to be able to get after him too. So pressure is going to be all about it. All the pressure in this game uh, that we'll see, not just for these franchises today, but for moving forward. These are two teams that look like they're set to be good for a very long time. We're going to keep breaking down everything that you need to know uh, out of the championship games. Coming up next, we'll get an evaluation on Tom Brady from someone who's seen him up close. We'll do it. Spain and Fits on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Fits on the ESPN Ra- on the ESPN. Good Lord. On ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series XM Channel 80 presented by Progressive Insurance, getting you ready for this weekend's games and in order to do that, let's head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we are joined by Dave Moore, former Bucks tight end and Bucks radio analyst. Dave, thanks for your time, man. There's been a lot of hot takes this year on how good Brady actually it is. feels like one week everybody's in, the next week they're all out. You've watched him more than most of us. So what's your assessment on how well he's played this season?
3: Uh, well, I tell you, you know, early in the season, you know, due to the COVID thing and Tom's been with one team for 20 years and new offense, new set of receivers, you know, he said early on and often that, it was going to be a work in progress and we saw some really good games and we saw some not so good games, but I tell you, he is as good as advertised because if they give him time, the guy's unbelievable as far as the accuracy to get to a third and a fourth read, like most quarterbacks can't. Um, and he's got this team believing. I mean, think about it. I, I played for 15 years and you know, a lot of these guys haven't been to the playoffs that have been around here so whatever comes out of that dude's mouth, he's been to nine Super Bowls. He's won six of them. He's been to however many NFC or AFC championships. I mean, whatever comes out of his mouth, you know, I'm believing as a fellow teammate. And uh, he's, he's got these guys believe in, and, and that's a hard thing to do. When it comes from another player, it means a lot more than a coach. You know, it's kind of like a parent to a kid. And uh, these guys have done nothing but get better down the stretch after that bye week is really the defining moment in the season where Tom says along with the rest of the players that that was their chance kind of to look back at what they were doing what they weren't doing well, have the opportunity to address some things. And since that point, they've been playing very good football. And, you know, they've even said they haven't played their best. They've made some mistakes, but it's been pretty darn good ever since.
1: Dave Moore, longtime tight end, former Buck. I want to get back to that perspective that you offer, what you said about the number of guys who are around the team that have never even made a postseason. What does it mean to be in this game for this franchise, especially the first year after they go out and grab Brady?
3: Well, it means a, a ton. I mean, he's, he's, The reason you play at this level, obviously besides making a living, is is have an opportunity to, to win the big one. And that's why Jason Light and Bruce Arians, they went out and got Brady Gronkowski, and then they signed Dominican Sue back, Jason Pierre Paul, Shaq Barrett, who led the league in sacks, and went out and got Antonio Brown and did all these things because they felt like the core group of guys were good enough to get them to the playoffs, and they needed those extra pieces. Get him over the top and it's not different from when the Bucks years ago when they had such a great defense with Sapp, Brooks, John Lynch, Ronde Barber and they had Keyshawn Johnson on offense and they had you know Allstott and Dunn and they went and got Brad Johnson who was a quarterback that they felt like you know could, could be that piece to get him to the Super Bowl and it wound up working out for him so you're in a similar situation where your core guys, I mean, Levante David's been there for nine years, never been to a playoff game, but yet he's a Pro Bowl caliber player. They went out and got Devin White. They got a young defensive backfield. So they, they made this these moves uh, to get these guys in. And, you know, by doing so, um, they put themselves in a good position. And, again, they've improved over the course of the season like you've seen New England do so many years where they get beat early and the defense is playing so-so. But then all of a sudden, you see towards the end of the season when it really counts is when they're playing their best football. So, you know, that's, that's really obviously why they did what they did, and it's nice to see that it's, it's worked as planned, you know, to this point. Obviously, this is a big game. It's a tough challenge. But, you know, regardless, to get to this point, you know, with the, with the offseason the way it was and the protocols the way they are, uh, it says a lot about the team and the coaching staff.
2: So, Dave, that defense you mentioned forced a bunch of turnovers against the Saints. It was a key to the game, but we all know the Packers don't really make mistakes offensively. So what does that defense have to do to trick Aaron Rodgers?
3: Well, the, the big thing is they've got, they got to keep him in the pocket. You know, he's a guy that's going to make something happen when he gets out of the pocket. And We saw against Washington, they had that young guy, Heineke, that the Bucks didn't know a whole lot about him. He hadn't started a game for him. And he got outside and, and really caused some problems. You know, and Todd Bowles' defense, they do take some chances. Um, you know, they'll, they'll try to get after the quarterback, and there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do to, to surprise or, um, you know, confuse Aaron Rodgers. But if you can keep them in the pocket and eliminate the run game, they're so good on play action, faking a run, taking that big shot down the field, the Bucks are number one in the league against the run. So if they can be consistent with that, shut down the run game, then it's going to eliminate, really, the, the impact of the big play actions because the linebackers don't have to step up quickly to try to address the run. They can read it properly, be disappointed in getting their drops. Uh, one thing the Bucks did last week, which was better, you know, the Saints had beat the Bucks prior five times they played. But when they played the Saints, they did a lot tighter bump and run to disrupt the timing of the routes and it seemed to be effective. So I I would imagine they're going to kind of do the same thing on the typical drop-back situations to get in, um, you know, the face of the receivers and try to do that. But the biggest thing with Aaron Rodgers is force him to stay in the pocket and throw the ball before he's ready. And and that's really the the only opportunity because, you know, he's a candidate for the MVP, and and he's not a guy that you're going to get out there and confuse him or give him a look he hasn't seen.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to a longtime NFL vet, Dave Moore. 15 seasons in the NFL, most of them with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You mentioned the interesting dynamic heading into that Bucs-Saints game. We all were trying to figure out how much we could take away from their previous meetings this year. As it turned out, the Bucs flipped the script and got the win, in part because of turnovers. What we saw is the reverse in the relationship between the Bucs and Green Bay. They had success against Aaron Rodgers and company earlier, but in some ways it was uh very abnormal. We don't usually see Aaron Rodgers turning right. the ball over. So I don't know how much we could take away from that week 6 meeting. What can we take away in your yeah, opinion?
3: Yeah. In my opinion, absolutely nothing. Right. Um, yeah. It was a game where the Bucks got off to a great start. They got turnovers, they got momentum, and Aaron Rodgers never really got in the game. They got the but that's that's listen, both teams are very different. I was putting together a depth chart and they have a lot of different starters. In Green Bay than they had back in November. So, you know, this is this is a game that's completely different. So, if if you're trying to gauge it on the first time they play, it's a bad idea because this is a completely football game, a different football game. Both teams are different where they were. The Bucks are a lot further ahead, but at that time the Bucks played kind of like they're playing now. The question is going to be: Are they going to be able to generate the same pressure? Are they going to be able to get the takeaways? Are they going to be able to stop the run like they did in the first game? And on offense, are they going to be able to make those big plays like they did? And, and I, I think it's going to be a lot closer game for sure. And I, I don't think it's going to be lopsided at all. And it's going to be a big challenge for the Bucs. Um, and you know Aaron Rodgers, you know, he went back, watched that film. You know, you correct the mistakes, you move on. Um, but I'm sure he'll he'll be ready to, to give payback if he has the opportunity.
2: Dave, real quick before we let you go. We like to be measured on this show and not be hot takery. So, if the, mm-hmm. for some reason the Bucks lose this weekend, was this season a success for Tom Brady?
3: Uh in my opinion, in, in his opinion, he would say no because, you know, he's a guy that that's trying to get to that Super Bowl every year. Um I would say yes. You know, obviously him leaving leaving New England and the whole you know debate about is it coach, is it quarterback, is it You know, would he have the ability? He was always a system quarterback, according to sources and all of that. In my opinion, as a player, to be able to go to a place that hasn't been to the playoffs in 13 years and to take them and lead them to an NFC championship with help, obviously, uh, with the guys around him, uh, I don't know how you measure anything other than a successful season for him because there had to be some unknowns in his mind as well. I don't care how good of a player you are, you know. You always have questions. If I was playing in a different system with different coaches, with different people around me, would I have the same success that I have here? And we all see every year where free agents move from one team to another and disappear. They can be a number one receiver. They can be an offensive lineman. They can be a running back, a quarterback. And they they don't produce in the same fashion because different system, different quarterback, but yet you watch Tom improve – over the course of the season, and um, build chemistry with his receivers and you know early in the season, we saw a lot of receiver quarterback not on the same page. you throw it deep, the receiver would stop. all that stuff's kind of gone away where they're in sync now, so yes, to answer your question <laughs> it really short answer yes i think he's got, <laughs> he's got to take it as a success <laughs> yeah right <laughs> sorry about that i didn't want to get on a tangent That's good stuff good stuff you know i mean there's it, a lot dave, of reasons man. for that i mean it's, it's you know you've got to analyze yourself and I, I think you'd have a hard time saying it was not a success
2: dave we appreciate your time so much dave moore former buccaneers tight end and bucks radio analyst thanks for joining the show my friend
1: yeah appreciate it enjoy the game
3: hey it's good to talk to you guys again
2: ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Sarah, I just thought it was important to ask the question about success because so many people are trying to compare Brady and Belichick, but they're really two different things. Like, Belichick's trying to build a franchise for years. Brady's trying to win right now. I think we have to acknowledge that they're fighting different battles, whatever their successes or failures are today.
1: Well, and I'm kind of thankful that it feels like the beginning of the season we had that who's going to win the I can do this without you conversation a lot, and i haven 't heard as much of it now because it is pretty silly. You drop a quarterback into a whole team versus uh Belichick having to have go with a quarterback who was injured with a got a bunch of guys who opted out it just it wasn 't a, a scenario where you could really equally compare them
2: well and that 's part of what makes us a little different because let 's be real if the bucks <laughs> find their way to the Super Bowl. the number of times we will hear the what does this mean yep. for Belichick and his uh, it, legacy mm-hmm. will be. Interesting. All right, coming up, it's obviously been a a day of memories. We're going to remember the legacy of Hank Aaron. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Back to Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. There have been innumerable losses in the last 10 or 11 months, but it feels like baseball greats have been hit harder than any and Today, uh, we learned of one of the greatest of all time, passing Hank Aaron. And to join us and shed some light on his memory, longtime Atlanta Braves outfielder Dale Murphy, 15 of his 18 years in MLB, was as a Brave. Dale, thanks so much for giving us some time.
4: Yes, thanks for having me on.
1: I think the thing that stands out the most from everybody's remembrances of Hank Aaron is, of course, uh, everyone mentions the home runs and his play. But well beyond that, and very quickly, people moved to what a class act he was, how much it mattered to him to matter outside of baseball, and their own personal experiences with him as a man. Uh, when you remember him, what comes to mind first, the baseball or outside of it?
4: Uh, yeah, definitely outside of it. Uh, you know, uh, because I'm so thankful that I was drafted by the Atlanta Braves, our past didn't cross. Across. I was drafted as a catcher, so I got to go to spring training early in my uh, career as a minor leaguer. And I my first spring training with the Braves was '75, and Hank, uh, you know, had been traded to uh, Milwaukee, um, and then he came back to work, uh, you know, for the Braves for 15 years. So how thankful I am for the the opportunity to be drafted by the Braves and to have been able to rub shoulders with Hank and just be in the organization when he was there. Um, although he was over the minor leagues, when I was in the major leagues, uh, his influence was, was there. I think he set the standard for how the Braves organization and players, uh, should, he, he just set the tone, the standard of what it's like to be a professional ball player, to be an Atlanta brave, uh, I mean, if 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 anyone could go through what he went through and handle it with dignity and grace, you could certainly go through whatever you're going through, and and represent uh, the game of baseball and the Atlanta Braves in a way that is right. And so, whenever I did rub shoulders with him, or you know, at a banquet or whatever, you, you that's what you remember. He you felt like you were in the presence of a very unique human being. And uh, you could feel it, and I'll never forget that.
2: How open was he in talking to people around the organization about his struggles and what he went through and, and sort of li- living through that era in Major League Baseball?
4: Uh, how open was he? Yeah. Was, was, that, was that the question? Yes.
1: Yeah, out a how, little how bit. often does he like talk How about much it, was
2: yeah. he talking to you guys about sort of going through that era and, and the struggles that he went through uh, in that era of Major League Baseball?
4: uh he he did he didn't uh you know first of all i was going to say as far as you know he was in the front office so he was there watching us play you know watching us take bp if he you know wasn't working on some minor league assignment which was his main assignment but he watched us a lot now, first of all i was going to say he he respected our hitting coaches you know he didn't come down there unless he was invited and personally he was invited by my hitting coach i can't remember who it was it You've got to come down here, talk to him, get him straightened out. And so you always listen to what he had to say. But I think he's been very candid and open, uh, you know, um, in interviews and subsequent uh, times. He's been very candid. But with, with us, with the players, if he's in the locker room, it was just, uh, you know, strictly uh, baseball, how you doing, how you swinging, and, uh, you know, just uh, – uh, just that, but we all we all knew and understand well understand as best as we could what he went through.
1: It's Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to two-time National League MVP, seven-time All-Star Dale Murphy, longtime Atlanta Braves outfielder who, of course, knew Hank Aaron, uh, who passed. And uh, uh, one of the things that we talked about on Around the Horn today, and that Tony Reali said that really stood out to me was because of the experience that he went through during that home run chase and the way he described it in interviews as his children were essentially jailed and he was treated like like a a pig going to slaughter and the protection and the treatment um, that they endured during what should have been this highlight of his life. um, Tony said "It, it feels like we were robbed of potential even more greatness from him if he hadn't been so weighed down by taking on all of all of what our country was going through as he became a representation of that. It became a national security issue. Um, How much better could he even have been, would it not have been, for all of the outside influences, either distracting him or weighing him down?
4: Well, that's a great question and an interesting observation. Um, You know, first of all, um, to me, he's the greatest player that ever lived. Uh, statistically, plus the degree of difficulty. And No one else could have done what he has done, um, you know, statistically and going through what he went through. So, I mean, I think about the things that were on my mind. You know, everybody's got their lives. You're going through challenges and whatever, and you've got to show up to the ballpark and play a game. But mine seems so trivial <laughs> compared to, you know, what Hank – had on his mind. I mean, uh, I, I can't understand it and I can't comprehend it. Um, and it's a great question uh, that, um, yeah, probably I think uh, those things have got to have taken a toll. I mean, he was remarkably consistent and played for a long time. But had he not been African American, I think there's a, 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 a good observation that without that stress and all that you're going through, that we would have even seen a better player.
2: We're talking to Dale Murphy, longtime Atlanta Braves outfielder, and we're talking about, obviously, Hank Aaron. So 755 career home runs, but never hit more than 47 in a single season. So consistency was such a huge part of his game. Obviously, baseball's changed so much today. How difficult was it to be that consistent with your home runs, particularly in that era of baseball?
4: yeah is consistently is consistency is is really unequaled is is another part of his game that is unequaled um because you you got to look at the great pitchers he faced in the 60s and 70s and and you know thinking about facing Bob Gibson in in St. Louis uh you know and then going to Atlanta and you got to face him again or a pitching staff uh you know, with Juan Marichal and Gaylord Perry and some other giant giants pitchers that I don't remember, or Koufax and Drysdale, you face them at home. Then you go on the road. There, 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 uh, It's again um, with no expansion and a concentration of the talent. You were always facing so many Hall of Famers. I mean, there was never a day off. There's one thing about expansion and more teams. You're not going to face. You know, aces all the time, and I think an argument could be made that um, you know maybe maybe the argument well there wasn't closers back then, which I think makes it tougher to hit. But the concentration of the talent, um, and I'm even forgetting some of the great pitchers during those those years that Hank uh, played is you know that it makes it that much tougher for sure.
1: It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Dale Murphy about the passing of Hank Aaron. Before we let you go, I saw somebody, and I know that our colleague Clinton Yates uh, said this a while back as well, but now there's even some mock-up t-shirts floating around suggesting that it should be the Atlanta Hammers. Thoughts on that?
4: Oh, yeah. I, I think I joined in that uh, um, conversation when, when uh, a year or so ago when people were saying, hey, there's going to be a name change and and uh, you know what do you think uh, if the Braves do change their name? I, and I was like, yeah, I think that'd be great. The Atlanta Hammers, I think it had a great uh, uh, um, kind of rolls off the tongue there, yeah. and then a hammer inst- instead of a, a hammer instead of a tomahawk. In fact, I saw a, a, a great idea today that they should replace the tomahawk with a hammer for this year. Or where where the 1974 unis that uh, Hank wore when he broke the record yeah. so uh I, I i would love to see at least uh, hank aaron field at truest park i think that'd be great
1: well we appreciate you joining us to share some memories dale thanks for the time thanks dale
4: thank you for having me on thank you
1: dale murphy and and some wonderful memories and and great retweets of some other folks sharing stuff on his twitter as well if you want to go check it out as uh the baseball world and beyond remember hank aaron today Uh, Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we're going to get back into that Hank Aaron conversation, specifically the racial struggles he endured and a search for a few more home runs that I saw today and found interesting. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. But next, two Hall of Famers will square off with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. We'll break it down next. ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Spain, Jason Fitz. Happy Friday. It's a championship Friday. We got some good football this weekend and it is sort of split up two halves we got the old guard guys trying to get that one last maybe year or two of chances to get another super bowl and we've got the youngsters up and coming guys of course patrick Mahomes already owns as many super bowl wins as aaron Rodgers. spade and fit and radio espn op sirius xm channel 80 uh we are going to get back into some hank Aaron sound but i want to talk about bucks packers uh one of the things that you and I share is maybe wanting to see somebody other than Tom Brady win the Super Bowl, right? I mean, you know, it's just, it's impressive what he's done, but maybe time to move on. And in the midst of trying to be unbiased and fair in in looking ahead to these games, I was asked, you know, what's the best matchup? And I said, well, for me, I want to see, I want to see Bill's Packers. I, I like the Chiefs. In fact, my friend is a coach for the Chiefs, but they just won. So it would be cool for Bills fans for them to get back in there, and it would be cool for Aaron Rodgers to have one last shot. And this is coming from a Bears fan, fits. But mm-hmm. I said, I bet you that the NFL wants either Mahomes Brady because they want that, that that quarterback superstars, or since we just saw the Chiefs, they want Buffalo Bill craziness meeting up with Tom Brady in a new spot. And it ha- it reminded me that, you know, I'm probably – not alone in wishing that Tom Brady would just move on uh, but I certainly am am you know also you know certain that there are lots and lots of people who want to see him continue on and want to see him try to do the same thing with the bucks that he did so many times with the Patriots
2: Wait, do do you think if the Bra- if Brady wins the Super Bowl, is there a shot he just retires? Because if that's the case, I'm all in on Brady. <laughs> I like, like whatever it takes to get this thing done. Like that's I'm I'm ready for this chapter in my life to end. I'm ready to stop seeing the Tuck rule over and over and over again. Like I'm just ready. So if that's what it takes, I'm all in. I'm now rooting for Brady. I'm all in.
1: I just was watching a video about today's, uh, t- you know, previewing Sunday's game, and they brought up the tuck rule again. I'm like, poor Fitz. like you just can't escape it. Um, so on Get Up, Greeny was talking about, uh, you know, this game and reminded us all that no matter how many different stats and different ways we hear about Tom Brady's greatness, uh, it will never probably be enough to fully – fully understand what he's done in the last 20 years here was just a couple of the top 10 statistics he put together uh to show tom brady's greatness
5: only three franchises have played in more championship games than brady and one of those is the patriots who went 13 times with him and just twice in 31 seasons without so they don't even count Brady has completed 304 passes in conference championship games. That is 42 more than Joe Montana and Peyton Manning, who were second and third combined. In his 40s alone, in this decade of his 40s, Tom Brady has won as many playoff games as the Bengals, Texans, Cardinals, Lions or Jaguars in their franchise history. Brady has made it this far in the playoffs, 74% of his seasons. That means that every year, it is more likely that he makes the conference championship than it is that LeBron James makes a free throw, that any major league pitcher throws a strike, or that any golfer on tour makes a putt longer than four feet. As of this Sunday, Tom Brady will be the only quarterback ever to have started a conference championship under four different U.S. presidents bush obama trump and now biden
1: and fits one of the things about it is it's football football is so much harder to dominate over this much time because of the physical nature of the game and because it's a team sport so of course you have to give credit to the patriots and his teammates and his coach but you also have to look at this and say this kind of dominance in the nfl is even more impressive than other places it's wild
2: Well, and let's be real for a second. I say the same thing to LeBron haters right now. Like at some point – we can all say that we're tired of Brady or that, you know, we're not fans of Brady. But when we have grandkids running around, we'll all be the same people looking around saying, oh, that guy that you're rooting for is not near as good as Tom Brady that I watched. Uh, I mean, I think there's just a legacy portion of it. Right now, it just comes down to the fact that we don't have a Brady. Like, most of us as fans don't know what this this level of continued success feels like. It's just such a rare moment in time to have this kind of performance from a quarterback for this many years, I believe that Chiefs fans are going to feel the same. We're going to feel the same way about Chiefs fans in 15 years when we're all tired of hearing about Mahomes. Like, you start seeing this long duration that quarterbacks can play, and you see how successful they can be for so long, and it just it grinds you down. And that's what's happened for people that aren't fans of Brady. So often it's just a matter of looking around and saying, uh, he's not my quarterback, and I have no idea what it feels like to have that much certainty at that position for generations. So it's easy to hate on.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz. If I were not a mature national sports oh, really? analyst okay, okay, who yes, has please. been able to stay attached to my teams, but allow for and accept that I can respect and and think that other teams are good, like say the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, this would be a brutal matchup for me. Because Brady is a guy who has proved me wrong a million times every time I would say, I think this time he's done and it and it's over. And then he would come out and go to the Super Bowl again. And Aaron Rodgers is a guy that has destroyed my team repeatedly, including Hail Mary passes and winning games that, you know, would have eliminated them, and instead they win, and they go on to beat the Bears in the NFC Championship. But I don't need to bring all that stuff up. The point is, is that if I remove my own personal thoughts from this, this is an incredible matchup of two quarterbacks. And even though you can look at Aaron Rodgers and say his season has been MVP level, one of the best of his career – And you believe in him more purely based on what he's done and more consistently than maybe Brady this year. Then you look over to the other side and you go, oh, you mean the guy that's made the Super Bowl nine times? That's the one that you believe in less in this game, right? Like, it's just wild to think about the resumes that these guys bring in, but how different they are despite their greatness.
2: Well, and that's, you know, you mentioned the resume. I really genuinely forgot in the process of thinking about Aaron Rodgers that he'll start his fifth conference championship Sunday. That's the sixth most all time. I mean, the level of sustained success from both of these guys, and you're absolutely right. Like, this becomes one of those moments that if you can take that that hat off and look at it and say, okay, we are getting a matchup of two incredible brands. But I also look at the the Buccaneers and have to give a tip of the hat because what they're doing – is rare. We always use the Eagles from several years ago as the event, as the example of why you can't just build a super team. You know, when they had the dream team (air quotes) that fell apart on them. Everybody always says every year you can't just go out there and get a bunch of pieces together and have it work. Well, apparently you can when one of those pieces is Tom Brady. I didn't think it would work as as well as it has, and it's not just Brady; it's the n- a number of different acquisitions on the team. the The Buccaneers have gone all in on a short term plan. And it's gotten them to the NFC Championship game. So, I mean, I'm looking at both of these franchises and saying, hey, kudos to what you've built because it has worked both ways.
1: I agree with you, although I will say this feels like a little less of a super team. I mean, obviously, adding Gronk and Brady are the two big headline grabbing ones. But this was the team last year as Jameis Winston was throwing as many interceptions as touchdowns that we were saying this kind of feels like a team that's a quarterback away. And then they decide to throw their chips in the middle and go ahead and grab Tom Brady. And what we're seeing is the result of that. They had taken some steps and had built a nice team. What they needed was this piece. And we're seeing what's happening with it now. Um, There are a couple statistics that I saw coming into this game. And, of course, when you look at these, you say these are meant to be disproved or something's got to give. But you've got uh, the statistic that number one seeds, like the Packers, are 50-17 and in championship games. You've got 50 passing touchdowns this season for Aaron Rodgers, only the seventh time it's happened in NFL history. None of the previous six quarterbacks with 50 passing touchdowns won it all. And then you look at the game when they met last time. The worst of Aaron Rodgers' season. He only completed 46% of his passes. He had zero touchdowns, two interceptions. This is a team that never turned the ball over, and that's what they did against the Bucs last time. So I'm not sure how much we can look at that and take away from it for this game.
2: Yeah, I think there's very little that comes from the last game to transfer forward, and thats I'd say that about both matchups. That's part of what makes it exciting. I, even though we've seen these teams play this year, they all feel so different right now that uh, that's what's got me pumped.
1: It's Spain and Fitz. Coming up, we're going to get back to the life of Hank Aaron and the issues that impacted him off the field with somebody who knows just about as well as anybody. It's coming up next on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast if you've never checked it out. Today's a great time to do it. We we'll give you a little exclusive content sometimes that you can only get there. And today, we've done that. So be sure to get out there and have a little fun with us. Make sure you get to that podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's obviously a, a heavy-hearted day in the sports world as Hank Aaron has passed. And we're uh, trying to give you a little perspective on that. So, Sarah, let's head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro League Museum in Kansas City. Bob, thanks so much for your time, first and foremost. We really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we're trying to sort of give as much, as much credence to this legacy as we possibly can through this process, and it's difficult because of the way the world works and trying to remind people of the greatest moments. So when I say Hank Aaron to you, what stands out to you as the defining thing that you think of?
6: There's uh, obviously an amazing athlete, but even more so an amazing human being. You know, we can all marvel at his baseball accolades, everything that he did. I personally, and I'm biased because he's my all time favorite baseball player and my childhood idol as a kid growing up in small town Georgia, Crawfordville, Georgia, about 80 miles from Atlanta, lifelong Atlanta Braves fan. And like so many baseball fans, I admired how he played the game. And certainly in my estimation, I think he's one of the, if not the greatest baseball, Major League Baseball player of all time, but Henry Aaron, the man, far subsides, um, supersedes Henry Aaron, <laughs> the baseball player, Henry Aaron, the civil rights icon, Henry Aaron, the humanitarian, Henry Aaron, the philanthropist, Henry Aaron, the great businessman. Those things are what really will leave a lasting legacy for Henry Aaron. And, oh, by the way, he just happened to be one of the greatest baseball players to ever put on a baseball uniform.
1: Yeah, I saw the stat. If you took away all of his home runs, he'd still have over 3,000 hits, which is something that no one else in the 500 home run club can say. And he had 755. (laughs) You take all of those away and you still have over 3,000 hits. It's unbelievable. Uh, You know, I saw something that had me thinking we have the perfect person on the show tonight to ask about this as the president of the Negro League Museum and understanding the recent developments with the MLB acknowledging Uh, Negro League play in in a new way and in a meaningful way. Um, I saw someone post on Twitter that Mike Lupica told CNN this morning that Hank Aaron hoped that baseball historians could find at least eight home runs from his year with the Indianapolis Clowns because they're announcing that Negro League stats will be considered Major League stats. And of course, he trails uh, now Barry Bonds, 762 to 755. Have you heard about this search for those home runs during a time when statistics were not as carefully uh, uh, taken?
6: Well, and unfortunately, in this case, and maybe it will subsequently change, you know, Major League Baseball decided to go to only 1948.
1: Mm.
6: And Mr. Aaron played in 1952. So his numbers right now would not qualify, unfortunately. I had hoped that they would take this into the early 1950s because there were still a number of great Negro League stars that were in the Negro Leagues. And really, guys, by, you talk about 1948, You had five guys that grew up in 1947 and two others in 1948. That was really it. So there was still a plethora of talent in the Negro Leagues, but unfortunately the way that it is set right now, the cutoff is at 1948, and so those numbers, those elusive eight-home runs wouldn't qualify, uh, and that's a shame. Why was that number picked, Bob? You know, they looked at the last year that the World Series was played and and, 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 again, it was kind of an arbitrary year. Like I said, I would have lobbied heavily for it to go up until at least 1955. Now, after 1955, Negro Leagues baseball was likely minor league at best because now you're really fiphon so much of this great black talent out, and they had started to move into the major leagues, and, and with it, it's fan base. It's, it's fan base started to also move to the major leagues because it's a natural curiosity of these black fans wanted to see how their great black stars were going to fare now that they had this opportunity. And, and so Henry Aaron, of course, plays in the Negro leagues in 1952, comes to the Indianapolis clowns as a skinny cross-handed hitting shortstop
4: mm-hmm. must
6: weighed 150 pounds guys. And, and so Henry Aaron, for those who might be hearing that cross-handed thing for the first time was a right-hand hitter who hit with his left hand on top, unorthodox. As a matter of fact, the fear is that you break your wrist. Yeah. In that matter, Henry Aaron is knocking the cover off the baseball <laughs> in a highly unorthodox fashion. And when it gets to the clouds, they put the right hand on top. And as we always say, the rest is history.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro League Museum in Kansas City and admittedly massive fan um, uh, who idolized Hank Aaron. I wonder what you can tell me about the moment that he broke Babe Ruth's record and what it was like for you to experience the record breaking and try to reconcile the excitement and enthusiasm with maybe the fear for the men that ran out on the field or the fear for the reaction from our country.
6: Yeah, you know, Sarah, I was almost 12. You know, as kids would like to say today, I was 11 and a half. Maybe even 11 and three. Maybe three maybe quarters. Maybe 11 and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> that was April. I would have turned 12 in June. And, and so I kind of understood the racial tension that was swirling around this, but not, you know, it's from the, still from the point of view of purview from a nearly 12-year-old. But I knew how monumental this was. And Henry Aaron was my guy. And I tell the story, and I got to tell the story to him. I grew up in Crawfordville, Georgia. Crawfordville, Georgia is 80 miles east of Atlanta. And so when he hit record home run seven fifteen, and he's circling the bases in Atlanta's Fulton County Stadium, I'm circling the bases in my parents' living room. <laughs> so my, 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 my mother's old couch was first base. She had an old TV that was second base. The other old couch was third base, and her recliner was home plate. And so as my childhood idol guys was touching them all in Fulton County Stadium, I'm touching them all in my parents' living room, jumping for joy. And Crockettville, even in 1974, was still very much segregated. So the old white men sat on one side of the block, and the old black men sat on the other side. And I can tell you they saw this, this chase of Aaron and Ruth in different ways. And that was the polarized South. You know, black folks were so excited about it. And quite frankly, there were a number of white fans who also were excited. But as you both know, Henry Aaron received bags upon bags of hate mail with death threats. 27 years after Jackie Robinson Mm -hmm. had broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, Henry Aaron is subjected to the same level of hate and vitriol that welcomed Jackie Robinson into the major leagues. His family is in hiding. He don't know if he's going to make it around the bases. And, Sarah, that goes back to what you said when the two guys jump on out of the field. Mm. Everybody thought they were there to do some harm to Henry Aaron when they were there to just celebrate with him. And, and amazingly, guys, he found a wherewithal to push all of that aside and focus on the task at hand and the way he handled that chase of Ruth with such grace, class, and dignity is absolutely amazing with the weight that he was carrying. You know, it, it, it's, just, it's still astounding to me to this very day.
1: Yeah, something that we just talked about, and I know Tony Reale mentioned it on Around the Horn today, how much more could he have accomplished without the weight of all of that on him and without the expectation for him? to bear all of it for our country and for the sport uh Bob thank you so much for offering up some of your memories we wish we could talk to you even longer so wonderful to hear from you and hear your (laughs) thoughts on Hank Aaron um and our thoughts are with you as you as you handle his loss
6: well I appreciate it guys thanks so much for the time and for reflecting on the life and times of truly an American hero Henry Aaron
1: Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at progressive.com. Coming up, we'll chat with a Bills fan about their big game on Sunday. And look ahead to a big fight tomorrow. It's next, ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: up? Uh, not Friday and Fitzsimmons. Special edition of DCN Hilwani here on ESPN Radio. Getting you set for choir. I don't know how to say that name in McGregor this weekend. It's next. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man.
2: Oh, Spain and Fits on ESPN Radio. The ESPN app, SiriusXM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. She's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. Yes, coverage tomorrow night of UFC 257 on ESPN Plus starts at 6.30 Eastern with the main event at 10 Eastern to help us break it down. We'll head over to the Goodyear hotline where we are joined by our good friend Ariel Helwani, ESPN MMA reporter. Look, uh, let's let's be real here, Ariel. We're going to get to the Bills almost right away and spend most of the time there. So before we do any of that, give us the lowdown on what to expect, what you're expecting from Poirier McGregor too.
7: And and you nailed it, Jason. Well done, Sarah. Thank Poirier. You. It's not that tough. It's a little bit daunting when you read it, but it's Poirier.
2: Yeah, and fairness that for Sarah, Sarah did not have it phonetically spelled in front of her. I did. They know I'm an idiot. So <laughs> I didn't they made see sure it that it was
1: good. I didn't right see there it coming. Je parle Francais. And I didn't see it <laughs> oh. coming and I, I I could I just looked at it, I go, I don't know it. I'm out. We're out of time.
7: <laughs> you know what's oh, funny God. about that? It's a French it's a French last name. He's from Louisiana and yeah. it, the correct way to say it would actually be Poirier. Poirier, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, but so they say Americanized, they kind of anglicized bastardized Poirier, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and Jason, by the way, I appreciate, you know, I feel like no one wants to book me on their shows anymore because they know I'm just going to talk about the Bills when everyone <laughs> wants to talk to me about the UFC. So I appreciate you putting out that disclaimer. As a result, I will talk about the UFC uh, to start things off. Yes, this is a, a big fight. It's Connor's first fight back in a year. He looked amazing the last time he fought in January of. Last year, Juan in, in 40 seconds, and of course, you know, he had big plans for 2020, much like all of us, and those plans got derailed, and he was very frustrated, he was upset, he felt like he was being shelved by the UFC, he felt like, you know, they were putting him on the sidelines for no reason, they were really kind of waiting for fans to come back, and this card will have uh, 2,000 fans in attendance, so they'll make a little money off of that, but he appears to be in, in a great headspace, he appears to be in great shape. He's fighting a guy who he beat six and a half years ago, but Poirier has... I mean, he's improved dramatically since then. He's a much, much better fighter, and I think it'll be a good fight. Uh,
1: Ariel, I have been so busy uh, with the weight of life and the inauguration and the insurrection and Mets GMs (laughs) and everything else that I have not done what I would usually do, which is probably write a story about everything going on around McGregor as we lead into this fight. And I want you to help me understand for the millionth time how someone could be using uh, racist slurs Guilty for punching a man in a bar, guilty for throwing a dolly at a bus, guilty for other accusations of violent behavior, currently still embroiled in a lawsuit relating to a rape accusation that was then filed again this week, which described, uh, you know, an encounter in great detail. How is all of this go on? And the stance of the UFC and ESPN, to be honest, since we're airing the fight, is simply we've never cared about whether the people fighting are terrible criminals and we don't care now. And and we're going to protect them in in conversations, and we're going to step in and say you can only ask about the fight and blah blah blah. Like, does does no one just care? And that's I should just stop even trying to ask or, or or understand.
7: Well, to be honest, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I don't know if it's a hundred percent fair, especially towards ESPN. I mean, I'm I've been at ESPN for two and a half years, so I can't really speak to the time that I was you know not here. But I mean, last year I asked mcgregor about the allegations Uh, i've asked him in the past about the brooklyn incident i've asked him about the the slurs towards the muslim community i mean i've tried to do my part as best as i can um and i know that for some that's not enough and it will never be enough and i think for some they would rather he just go away i would i would suggest that you know it's been a lot less tumultuous as of late if you want to you know hold him accountable for all those things forever you're very much uh in the right most well, of the because he wasn't ever in...
1: held accountable right i mean he he basically retired well, and then that's by by the ufc and by any governing bodies right so that's that's i well, guess where i'm wondering there
7: aren't any there aren't any governing bodies in right. mma that's a problem with mma so that that right. doesn't exist now uh you you want to you want to criticize the ufc for you know, holding him to a different standard and, and letting him get away with things, you're absolutely in the right to do so. I would agree with you on that. Like, If, if the same actions are, are being made by a guy who's fighting on the undercard who doesn't make the UFC money, I can assure you that guy's getting fired a long time ago. So yes, he gets to play by a different set of rules. There's no doubt about that. Also, one thing that confuses people at times is Dana White is not a commissioner. He's, right. not, he's not a guy who's going to at the end of the day, he wants to make money. He's an owner. That's it. Like he's he's James Dolan, right? Like he's just an <laughs> owner of a team with four hundred people. And I'm sorry for using that analogy. Maybe that was on purpose. Maybe it wasn't. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> like it, 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 he's just a guy who's trying to make money. And Connor's obviously the biggest, you know, the biggest draw that he's ever had. So don't expect him to be like you know the the moral high ground in all of this because it's not going to happen. There are flaws in that. Um, I, I would I would also just say like, the guy's done a lot of good as of late, and, and uh, you know I, I do think he deserves credit for that he 's donated millions of dollars and, and a lot of it has gone under the you know the radar to children 's hospitals to you know um, hospitals in Ireland that were needing medical equipment in the beginning stages of the uh, the pandemic. but make no mistake about it, like all those things that you mentioned, a lot of them on camera there's no excuse they're they 're indefensible. He's a young guy. He's made a lot of mistakes. I, I would I would say there are some other guys who have turned the corner later in their career and, and people have uh, you know, forgotten, if you want to say that, but uh, I don't think you should forget. I, I think you should just decide if this is someone you want to watch or cover or whatever. But right now, yes, you mentioned the lawsuit. Uh, the lawsuit came up this Monday. Uh, it's a civil suit, so there was an investigation on the allegations. That investigation was closed. He was never formally charged or arrested. And then... Uh, a victim brought upon a, a civil suit where she's suing him and her mother are suing him for x amount of dollars. That was brought up on Monday, and so you know we'll see what happens there. He maintains that you know he's he's innocent.
2: Right. We're talking to Ariel Helwani, ESPN MMA reporter. Obviously, Poirier McGregor too. Don't forget, you can check that out. Coverage tomorrow night uh, on ESPN Plus. So, Ariel, you'll, your level of confidence going into Sunday, as in anyone that doesn't know, you are a lifelong diehard Bills fan. Just <laughs> like I was a Bears fan, just like I'm a Raiders fan, you are that level of Bills fan. So, your level of confidence Sunday is?
7: I'm very confident. I will be honest with Ooh. you. I'm very confident. I'm very happy that Patrick Mahomes is playing. I wanted him to play. I want the best. Like Ric Flair once said, "To be the man, you got to beat the man." I want them at their healthiest. I want the full squad. I want everyone who doesn't believe in Buffalo, and I know you're all out there. You all think it's going to be the Packers and the Chiefs, and it's going to be oh so great, and maybe Tom Brady <laughs> will get another crack with his new team. He'll get the play at home. I want to spoil everyone's party, and I think that this team has looked incredible this season. Yes, they stumbled against the Titans. Yes, they stumbled against these same Chiefs. They were robbed of a victory against the Cardinals, and that's it. They haven't lost since that DeAndre Hopkins you know, hail mary catch that everyone went gaga over. They they took the bye week and they haven't lost since. And they've laid the smackdown, quite frankly, on everyone. Everyone said the Ravens were going to run all over that D. What happened? Three points, three measly points. And so <laughs> I'm pumped. I can't wait. 27 years ago, we went to Arrowhead, and yes, I'll say we because I'm a proud member of those mafia. We went to Arrowhead. We beat these same Chiefs led by Joe Montana. 27 years later, we're going to do the same against that precious MVP that everyone loves us so much. Josh Allen is the MVP. Coach McDermott is the coach of the year. I don't care what anyone says. And the executive of the year is Brandon Bean. And I wish that Brian Dable would get a little more respect, and he should be a head coach, but I'm happy that he's staying with us and Leslie Frazier as well. This is a phenomenal team. It's a class organization. This isn't the Bills of 10 years ago where we were the laughing stock. Everyone just loved us because we went through tables. No, no, no. This uh, is the we're class, clipping and we're going to be Super Bowl champions in two and a half weeks.
1: We're clipping Woo! that whole thing off, and we're putting it yes! on social media, Great! and it's going to send s- hundreds of bodies into tables leading up to this weekend's game. Hey, Ariel, I really appreciate you taking my questions and thoughts on the fight, and I love your Bill's enthusiasm. Enjoy the game this weekend. Thanks for coming on. Let's out.
7: go. I'm fired up. Remember me on Sunday when you guys are watching <laughs> the AFC Championship. Remember this voice because I will be dancing because my Bills in Western New York will be celebrating our – super uh,
6: our baseball, Get out of here. Get out of here. Super We're going to talk oh, Packers Lord. next.
1: Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey. oh.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz hanging out with you. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Got a little pre-party action that will be going up tonight with the show. We got to get back to some football this weekend and not just Ariel Helwani, Buffalo Bills stump speeches, as great as those are. We got to get back to this Packers-Bucks game. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Joining us to give us a little help, 94.5 ESPN Milwaukee and the athletic Packers reporter Jason Wildy. Jason, thanks for the time.
8: I'm always glad when Tauscher turns you guys down, so you'll call me.
1: <laughs> well, we knew you couldn't do it, and so we went to him, and we came back to you. And I actually want to i want to ask you about that before we get to the game on Sunday. Uh, per Jen Latta's tweet, I, I turned it over to 94.5 uh, the other day to hear you guys remember former Packers GM Ted Thompson, um, and, and I wanted to ask, you guys were very emotional Uh that's not always the case in remembering a long time and former GM tell me what it was about him that made him so special.
8: Yeah, it's uh I was pretty embarrassed actually. I don't usually Don't be embarrassed. Uh, I, I'm an emotional person, but I try not to do that uh publicly or professionally, but you know, I think the 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 challenge with Ted Thompson's legacy is that he is never going to be remembered the way Ron Wolfe who ends up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame has been because He was carrying on a successful tradition as opposed to digging the Packers out of such a long history of being bad in the 70s and 80s. At the same time, you know, I think there are fair criticisms of what Ted Thompson failed to do during his time with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. But as Brian Gutekunst, the Packers' current GM, put it, it's a courage to draft Aaron Rodgers in the first round when you have a future Hall of Famer on your team even one that was contemplating retirement all the time. Uh-huh. And it took courage to move on from Brett Favre to go with Aaron Rodgers. And I just feel like he has never been appreciated enough. And, and what got me emotional is that I did a piece in 2007 for the Wisconsin State Journal on him, and I spent a lot of time with him and his family. He didn't allow that to happen very often. And I remember him talking about how when he was a player and early in his scouting career he had chances to get married And he never did. And he said, I always thought I would have been a good father and a good husband. Mm -hmm. And he never got married. He never had kids. The Packers were his life. And I just wished Packers fans had a greater appreciation for just how much he cared about their team.
2: We're talking to Jason Wilding. You can hear him on 94.5 ESPN Milwaukee. Also, check him out, the Athletic Packers reporter. So. Jason, let's look at this year's Packers team, and uh, everybody has all eyes on Aaron Rodgers, I get it, but Matt LaFleur has built an offense that has absolutely crushed everybody this year. Outside of just Aaron Rodgers' greatness, what's the key for them offensively?
8: Well, that is one of them, Fits is their offense, the scheme. I mean, Rodgers spent the offseason in these Zoom calls with LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett, their offensive coordinator, and Luke Getzey, their quarterback's coach, And they basically found a common ground of what everyone liked from the current offense and what everyone liked from their previous experiences. And they melded it together into this offense, and it has been phenomenal. We've heard Aaron Rodgers multiple times say, I didn't really have to do too much. He told a great story after one game where Nathaniel Hackett was showing him a play where Robert Tunyon was the third option on it. And he looked at the play on paper and said, I'm going to throw a touchdown to Tunyon on this. And sure enough, that's how it played out in the game. It is a well-designed and then well-executed scheme. That has been number one. Obviously, Devontae Adams has been magnificent. Tunyon has largely come out of nowhere for anyone who hasn't been familiar with the Packers and his potential. And their offensive line has been great. Put that all together with a three-headed running game, that's why they've been so good offensively.
1: You know, the first week against the Rams, it was the number one ranked pass defense. Rodgers had no problem with it. Now it's the number one ranked run defense in the NFL. How do you see their run game being able to stack up? And if they can't get it operating early, how does that affect their ability to beat the Bucks?
8: Yeah, I think, Sarah, it's, it's so important. Because we look back on that game on October 18th and Just about everything that could have gone wrong offensively did for them. We know Rodgers threw two of the five interceptions he threw this year in that game. He threw them in a three-pass span, and one of them was returned for a touchdown, which hardly ever happens to him. I think it was the third one of his career. The running game went nowhere. Aaron Jones, 10 carries for 15 yards. If they hadn't gotten a garbage-time 20-yard run from A.J. Dillon, they would have averaged 2.6 yards per carry on the uh-huh. day. And then the offensive line even before David Bakhtiari broke his ribs in the third quarter was getting manhandled by that front. So all three of those pieces are so important, but I think the reason why the running back and the running game is so vital is because they're such a good play action team. Aaron Rodgers had the highest pass rating in the NFL on play action passes this year. Tom Brady had the third highest. That is a crucial part of both these offenses, so you have to get the run game going.
2: We're talking to Jason Wilde. You can hear him on 94.5 ESPN, Milwaukee. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We all know the book on Brady. Everybody says at this point it's almost cliche. If you get pressure up the gut, up the middle, you can disrupt him. So then I ask you, how do they get pressure up the middle to get after Brady? Well, Kenny Clark
8: is coming off of his best game of the season. He had some nagging injuries. He wasn't all that productive. Um, Aaron Donald not playing much and not being effective when he was. Um, that made Kenny Clark the best defensive tackle on the field last week. Now, whether or not he can do that again this week, you know, that is going to be a crucial part of it. They also like to move Zadarius Smith inside and rush him from an inside position on passing downs, bring Rashawn Gary off the bench. So they do have the ability to rush up the middle. Uh, I think this is a huge game for Mike Patton. Uh 13 times he's coordinated a defense against Tom Brady. His teams are three and ten against Brady mm-hmm. in those games, including 0 and eight over the last decade. He has to have a game plan that rattles the goat.
1: Spain and Fitz, we're talking about the big Packers Bucks game. It feels to me like regardless of how disappointing it would be to have Aaron Rodgers and only win one Super Bowl with him, winning another Super Bowl is just a cherry on top of the Sunday that is already one of the greatest careers of all time. And some would argue he is the most talented quarterback of all time, despite not being the most successful. What is the conversation around those parts about it?
8: That's Sir, that's a great question. You know, it was funny because without real prompting, Devontae Adams brought this up when we had our Zoom call with him this week. And he, he basically made the argument, and, and I don't think he's wrong, uh, the Super Bowls have become... A quarterback staff. That was what he argued. And I think he's right. I mean, you know, you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at some of the defenses he was paired with, some of the disappointing playoffs. You know, I remember Tom Brady years ago saying that Rodgers would have thrown for 7,000 yards in a season if he was playing in New England. Um, those two are friends, uh-huh. so obviously he has a high opinion of Aaron. But, you know, having only one Super Bowl trip and only one title. I do think that allows critics of Rodgers' career to say, hey, the GOAT won six, Montana won four. He's only got one for whatever reason. And so for them to get back and for them to win another one, potentially, I think it puts him at three all time. I know that there's going to be people that disagree. They love to Your disagree. Your own personal and debate, record book? Like that.
1: Okay, Stu <laughs> well, it's
8: a, Yeah, my, I don't have the kind of juice that Stu does, But I, I would just look at it and say this. You know, you've got, if he has a second title, it puts him ahead of Favre, right? He He's going to get his third MVP this year. That puts him on par with Favre, although he didn't get them all three in a row. And the biggest thing, and this is a little bit Elway-ish, if they get back to the Super Bowl and win on Sunday, it will have been nine seasons in between mm. his Super Bowl appearances. That's the longest drought between Super Bowl appearances for a quarterback in NFL history. So that adds another layer to how sustained his greatness was and whether or not maybe there were some other things that kept them from getting to that game before this.
1: Awesome stuff, Jason, uh, and great stuff the other day on Ted Thompson. Don't be embarrassed. It was the kind of authenticity and genuine response to humanity that, that we want to see from people and want to hear from people. And it, it shows people uh, how much he meant to you guys into that city. Appreciate the time. Enjoy the game. I Everybody knows this by now. I don't hide it anymore. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are kind of like my side piece. I'm supposed to hate them. I always end up rooting for them. So I'll be rooting for Green Bay on Sunday. Uh, hope you enjoy the game.
8: Well, if they win, I expect you to call me instead of Taushir. Okay.
1: Uh, deal. <laughs> deal. <laughs> Uh, It's Jason Wilde giving you the straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. You can hear him on 94.5 ESPN Milwaukee and, of course, writing for The Athletic on the Packers. Coming up, we haven't forgotten. There's so much to get to today, but it's Friday, and we have to make our picks for the weekend. It's next, ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: It's so weird every Friday to be like, oh, yeah, Friday is the same as every other night, except maybe I can get a little drunker and not have to wake up early tomorrow. But we're not going out. We don't have big plans. Just sitting at home making bad decisions on the Tinder if you're single, sitting at home making bad decisions with the bottle of wine if you're not. Spain fits. Jason fits there. Spain <laughs> on a fry. Yay! So, if you could tell that being home for months and months and months with no social sure, life is getting to me, here you go. Okay.
2: No, I'm worried about you. As a friend, I am I'm not okay.
1: Right I need oh. some plans. I need something to look forward to. It's 19 degrees here. It's just—it's not great, Bob. Uh, you're listening to ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel eight. This always happens in like the last segment of Friday. Just my ability to give AF is just gone. Just I just keeping it together. Uh, but Fraser, we do right? have
2: AF as Frazier. We're, we're on the same thing. As right? as
1: awful Fraser. fun. Okay, perfect. It. Um. We have some football picks to make, and we can't do six-pack picks anymore because there's only two games. Uh, and I've lost track. I think you're still ahead of me by one game because we keep picking the same. Maybe I can make some headway. I'm definitely going to make you go first. Before we make our picks, it's Friday, so we got a first Friday. Ah, uh, even when I'm in a bad mood, how can you not get down to that saxophone? Just telling you, the weekend has begun.
2: I'm telling you, I'm going to learn to play the saxophone in 2021, Ooh. and I'm just going to take it to parties. Like, I would never take a violin to a party. That's not cool. But there's a moment where just, like, busting out careless whisper in the middle of a party yeah. for no good reason. That is my 2021 goal. I will carry that saxophone with me everywhere.
1: You know, I was all state and clarinet, and saxophone and clarinet have the same fingerings. So, basically, I just would need to take all of my woodwind prowess from years ago and apply it to a new instrument. We could go you out and play an together. Prime just a saxophone, like, saxophone just... duets every show. <laughs> it's like a whole segment where we don't talk about sports. We just duet uh careless whisper. I'm in. Let's do it. Absolutely. Get in the zones. Brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Who has to get in the zone Sunday for their team to reach the Super Bowl? Let's start with the first game. Uh, the one we were just talking about. Let's start there. Packers-Bucks. Um, for me... Beyond the obvious, which is, of course, Aaron Rodgers and, and Tom Brady and 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 that, I think, Aaron Jones. We just talked about if this Packers team can establish the run early and get up early or at least not get behind early so that they can make the decisions that they want and not be beholden to a game plan that's affected by getting behind, I think they will win the game. My pick is the Packers, not definitively and not with a ton of confidence because, Again, I'm picking against a guy that's gone to the Super Bowl nine times. But I do think the Packers are a better team. And that stat of number one's going 50 and 17 in championship games stands out to me.
2: Yeah, well, I, I agree with you completely. And, and look, this game comes down to Devontae Adams to me in a lot of ways. And I know that's cliche. So I'll say this if we're going to give you somebody other than the main stars, Alan Lazard, who had the second highest drop percentage. Uh, with wide receivers this season. He's got to hold on to the ball. He's going to have opportunities, I think, against this Tampa Bay defense. Uh, Look, Tampa Bay's been a very good team. Green Bay's been as hot as any team we can remember in the playoffs. The way they've played at this point It has been absolutely a delight. It's like watching art to watch the way that they go through their offense. They don't make mistakes. They won't make mistakes. I think Green Bay is actually going to win this game pretty easily. And and the Buccaneers, I know they just handed it to the the Saints. I got that game wrong last week. Uh, But realistically, that came down to the Saints played terribly, partially because of, yes, because of what the Buccaneers did, but also partially because Drew Brees looks like he should have quit maybe four weeks ago. So uh, I don't think uh, we have that issue, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to have a big game. Packers are going to have a big game, and I think they're headed to the Super Bowl.
1: Wow, we're picking the same again. I'll uh, go first Clark, this time. I'll
2: go first on the next R- one. Then, if you want, Ryan Clark
1: oh, okay, was, on, uh, was on was uh, on a get up today and was talking about this matchup. And uh, you know, one of the things he said about Aaron Rodgers at the end kind of stood out.
9: I remember watching Aaron Rodgers in 2010. 2011, 14, and thinking to myself, he could never play better than this. I've never seen a quarterback more efficient, more comfortable until I watched Aaron Rodgers play this year. Mm -hmm. He is in full control of this offense right now. And it seemed that early on in the season, he thought and he could believe that this team could be good. But now he knows. Now he knows what Alan Lazard brings to the team. Now he knows what Robert Tunyon can be. We finally saw a three-headed monster at running back uh, last week or this week against the Los Angeles Rams. This is a different team. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a different team. But these are two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time playing at the biggest moment of this season. And we have to cherish this. We have to relish this. And the one thing that's different about this week than last week against the Saints is that number 12, from the Green Bay Packers still has it, and he has it in bunches, and it's going to be fun to watch these two legends battle.
1: Yeah, it it, it is pretty wild, Fitz, on Around the Horn today. They asked who we would take for this game, Brady or Rodgers, and we all said Rodgers, and we all admitted how absurd it is to pick against the winningest quarterback in history who's been to nine Super Bowls, and yet that's how amazing Aaron Rodgers has been.
2: Well, we we were talking to Mike Olick Jr. not too long ago. I was talking to him about uh, an old Green Bay game he was watching, and he said, "Look, I think we forget how Mahomesian, right? Uh, Aaron Rodgers was at the peak of his career. He did the same effortless things. We just forget because we haven't seen it. And then I watched last week, and the number of times that he was out of the pocket and making plays off schedule that just looks so easy." I mean, I think he's got that portion of his game just riding so hot right now. This isn't necessarily just about – it's not about Brady. It's about how good Rodgers is right now.
1: Right. Well, uh, we both went for the Packers on that one. Let's have you go first on Bill's Chiefs.
2: Look, I'm confident enough on this one that I put
1: money on it.
2: I'm dabbling. Stop doing that and stop saying it and stop being
1: confident. That never works out for you.
2: Hey, I still, I have not had to, I put an initial investment in my account. I have not had to make another investment, investment, all right? Throwing it away. Well, that's fair. But I haven't had to add any money, which means things have gone okay. Like, some weeks have been better than others, but... I put confidently uh, my bet on Kansas City here, and this is, uh, look, I'm presuming Mahomes is going to play, and once he plays, I'm presuming they can uh, just shoot up the toe and he'll be fine, however that works, and we'll see what's wrong with the rest of them, but with Mahomes in the game, uh, you know I've been high on the Chiefs all year long, and as much as I respect what they're building in Buffalo, it, it is not lost on any of us that there have been a few times in this playoff run that the the, the Bills have not necessarily made it look easy. This Chiefs defense is better at generating pressure without the blitz and we give them credit for I think they'll be able to get just enough in to make Josh Allen make a couple of mistakes and I don't think Patrick Mahomes will uh, the quarterbacks are the difference in this one the Chiefs roll the Chiefs roll so you think a pretty healthy margin well I mean I think it was three and a half and I took the Chiefs to the points. so they win by a touchdown they win by seven
1: <sighs> this is a really tough one for me and I vacillated throughout the day yes, I do think that the Chiefs offense is so fire powered and so incredible and so diverse that it's impossible to figure out what Leslie Frazier is going to try to do to game plan against them. Patrick Mahomes' numbers against the Blitz are incredible. And the last time they played, the Bills dropped their Blitz rate all the way down to 3%. It didn't work for him. There's got to be something in the middle where they show Mahomes enough that he's not sure of what's coming. He gets happy feet. He struggles back there uh, without allowing those deep hits, without allowing themselves to get gashed early and falling behind and then have to abandon whatever game plan they came in with. If they can do that, though, there is a part of me that looks at the history of the NFL and says how rarely it is that a team wins the Super Bowl and comes back and makes it again, wins the Super Bowl, comes back and wins it again. But just getting there is, 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 is a novel thing in the NFL. It's very difficult for me to pick against the Chiefs. But since I am wavering and since you are ahead of me, might as well mix Ooh! things up Ooh! and go ahead and pick the Bills.
9: Again, this seems
1: like a very risky decision. But the inconsistencies from the Chiefs have been things we've chalked up to either boredom or injury or otherwise. And maybe, just maybe, they're a little bit more sensitive to the, the, the ways of another team, the game plans of another team than we think. And that could be the Bills. They could be a team of destiny. This could be their chance. And so why not? I told you I'm all out of Fs to give. So let's the, go ahead and just the make trash the pick. talking text thread on Sunday is gonna be epic. I know our producer Stash is gonna mute me for the whole show next week. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Your mic's just not working. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. See ya.
0: You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio.